Most of you are probably familiar with the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. It burned the city of Chicago for two straight days, destroyed 17,500 buildings in four square miles. It killed over 300 people and left 100,000 people homeless. And it cost the city of Chicago $400 million in 1871 dollars. Now, if you bring that into today's currency, it's over $4 billion. Imagine that. A fire that lasted for two days cost 300 lives and $4 billion. One of the fascinating things about this story is how the fire got started. Now, there's several theories on this, but the main one that most people believe is that the fire got started in the O'Leary barn on the night of October 8th. The fire started because a cow was next to a lantern that was lit and was left in the barn, and the cow kicked or knocked over the lantern which caught the hay on fire, which caught the barn on fire, and so on and so forth. It's really crazy to think that a cow caused $4 billion worth of damage in so many people's lives. As we crack open James 3 today, the big idea is similar, is that our words can start fires. And if we don't give Jesus the lordship over our heart and our mouth, our small words can cause great damage in the lives of others. Whoever said sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, was either a liar or they were in denial. The greatest wounds that I have are wounds from careless and hurtful words. And the greatest wounds that I have ever caused as a person, husband, father, friend, and pastor, are words that I've said without the direction and leading of the Holy Spirit. In contrast, some of the greatest encouragements I have um, are words that are kind and life-giving, very generous words of blessing that have been offered to me as really kind of a gift. In fact, these mean so much to me. I have a cabinet next to my desk full of notes of blessing that I've received over the years. I've got about 15 years of these that I've kept. Any email that is sent to me that's like really nice or, um, or like a letter or a thank you note, I, I keep those and I keep them close because my love language is words of affirmation and words have such power in my life and I know that they have the same in yours. This is the third mark of maturity that James gives us, the ability to control our tongue. As you walk with Christ and grow and mature, a lot of what we would call the gross sins fade away. Now, we don't mean like the yucky sins, but by gross we mean like the wide, outward, obvious, like the real broad sins, these kind of start to fade away naturally. The, the closer you get to Christ, those things kind of tend to fall off. But what often remains still are these small, silent, inward, very difficult sins to be delivered from. And today we'll, we'll look at one of those, and it's called the sins of the tongue. And um, I, I don't think anyone is exempt from this lesson. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. So if you have a Bible, let's go to James 3. We're gonna look at the first uh, 12 verses in James 3. And as, as we read, pay attention, there's gonna be six different analogies um, or images that James gives us to kind of explain to us the power of the tongue. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, 
able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of our Lord. Now, James starts out here in verse 1. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, for we know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, apparently, James is giving this specific church a warning because a lot of people wanted to be teachers and to be in offices of authority. And his admonition is, those who teach are going to be held to a greater and stricter standard, so you should be sober-minded if you want to be a teacher. And every teacher of any shape or form should take this seriously, whether that's like a parent in teaching our kids or, uh, you know, a professional teacher in a school or even in the church in a small group or even like in my position of being a teacher of a congregation, it should sober all of us, especially me, that the words we say and, the, and the, really the life we live is going to be held to a, a different standard. Um, when I first began teaching publicly, I felt this. I would often... Um, get really, really nervous and anxious before I preached. And some people trying to comfort me would say, oh, you know, public speaking. And it wasn't, the nerves weren't for public speaking. The words were, or I'm sorry, the nerves weren't for public speaking. The nerves were understanding this, like the privilege and the the great responsibility I have, but also the accountability of whatever I say could have great effect for better or for worse on people. And as a young person, I kind of did not take that lightly, even now. um, I don't get nervous, um, but I do feel the weight and responsibility, especially before a church service or before recording a video like this. Uh, I remember back in the fall, um, before the quarantine, uh, there was a week that I didn't have to to preach, and I was still involved, and I came and was in one of the early meetings where we pray, and um, I just... I just uh, felt free, and I was making some great jokes. You know, I was like just quick-witted, and everyone was laughing, and I was like, I don't, I'm not this funny usually. And someone made the comment. They said, oh, we can tell Drew's not preaching today. And um, it was really telling to me and because I, I felt um, free, but I didn't know that other people could sense kind of the, the weight that I'm usually under when I'm teaching. And so um, I guess if, you, if you've if you ever encountered that uh, on Sundays, I, I apologize. I, 
it's often hard for me to engage with people before Sundays uh, just because of this. This verse right here is, you should know you're going to be held to a greater standard. Now, that's not the point of the sermon, but it's worth mentioning as we get into it. Now, verse 2 and through 4, he says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guarded by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now, James presents to us two items that are small in themselves, yet they exercise great directive power, just like the tongue. Both the bit and the rudder must overcome contrary forces, always bigger than themselves, which is amazing. Uh, The bit must overcome wild nature of the horse, and the rudder must fight the winds and currents that would drive the ship off its course. Both have the power to direct. Now, as Americans, we often equate size with significance, and Texans especially, everything's bigger in Texas. But here James says, not so. Small things can have a great power to direct and steer things. It doesn't have to be big, right? And so the tongue is like that. It's a small thing right inside of our mouth, and yet it has great power and great control. If you go to verse 5, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Here, James gives us two additional analogies, fire and a restless evil that is poisonous. What an image. Both of these have the power to destroy. The Great Chicago Fire illustrates this. What started with a cow in a barn cost $4 billion two days later. And and that's a great image that, that there are fiery words that can spread wildfires. We see this online and in the news and especially in in social media. Someone says something, it goes viral and people spread it and they react often with visceral emotion. It's the power of our words. Here's the thing about that. When you encounter burning words, usually that means there's a hot head and a hot heart behind them. Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What Jesus is saying, in other words, is that our words reveal the heart. Have you ever been around someone who, they said something and then immediately wanted to take it back and said, oh, I didn't really mean that? Uh, No, you did. You, You may have been surprised that it was in there, but Jesus says that out of what's in our heart, we speak. And and often we're not aware of what's in our heart until sometimes we speak. I know as a verbal processor, as an extrovert, sometimes that's me. I'm not really sure what I think about something until I say it out loud. This is heavy. I remember first reading this and thinking, James needs a hug and some ice cream and a Dr. Pepper. 
I was so discouraged when I read this because James describes the evil of the tongue. He describes it as a fuse set on fire by hell itself and says that no human being can tame it. And then he just cuts off the topic and seemingly addresses another issue as if he has ADD or got distracted. And this appears to be so negative. But then I looked a little closer. And in verse 8, he says, no human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. And if you jump to verse 10, his language says that these things ought not to be so, which signifies to me that there is another way, that there is hope. If it ought not to be so, then it ought to be another way. And we'll get to that in a moment and what that looks like. Finally, the last two analogies are in verse 11 and 12. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And so a spring of water and a fruit tree. These are the positive examples here at the end. Um, it kind of bookends them with these positive examples. And they have the power to nourish and bless. Or if you're keeping track of the three powers with alliteration, they have the power to delight. Like the first two have the power to direct. The middle two, the power to destroy here. These images, they have the power to delight. Proverbs is full of this lesson. In Proverbs 18, verse 4, it says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Proverbs 10, verse 11, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Later in verse 21, he says, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. This is the theme of Proverbs in many ways. So James gives us six different analogies for understanding the power behind our words, the power behind the small member of our body of the tongue, the bit, the rudder, fire, poisonous evil, a spring, and a fruit tree. Remember James hinting that it ought not be so. If we keep reading past verse 12, which we'll get to in the coming weeks, James addresses the issue of wisdom and thoughts. And these two ideas of the tongue and thoughts go hand in hand. They are not separate. Essentially, what James is saying in this chapter three is that the key to right talk is right thoughts. The thoughts of our inner world will directly affect our words, and our words directly affect others. The issue of the tongue is the issue of the heart. Again, Jesus gives us this insight in Matthew 12, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to control your tongue, you have to first control your heart. And James says, no human being can control the tongue. And, and I believe that. That's the truth. We, we can't. As, as much as we tried, as much as I've tried, I can't control my tongue. And I have a hard time controlling my thoughts and my heart. We can't control our heart or tongue. But what we can do is we can guard, we can protect, we can cultivate right thoughts and right thinking and right speaking habits. We can do that. But when it comes down to just outright control, we as humans can't. But the Lord can. And this is why Jesus is not just called Savior, but he's also called Lord. In, in other words, he's in charge. Like he's the captain. He's the, the, the one steering the ship. Uh, often um, people want Jesus as their Savior. 
but they fail to also make him the Lord of their life, the Lord of their thoughts, the Lord of their feelings, the Lord of their will, the Lord of their speech, so on and so forth. Uh, Proverbs 4, 23 through 25 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. It'd be a helpful verse to memorize and then live by. In Psalms 141, verse three says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to an evil. What a great prayer uh, for, for all of us who struggle with the, 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 the thoughts and, and the words. And then Psalms 19, 14, one of my favorite prayers in all of Psalms, there's so many, but this is right up there. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Now, this prayer, we should start our, our mornings with this prayer. We should start every conversation, every meeting with this prayer. I should start every sermon with this prayer. Um, you know, before you go to a lunch meeting, before you get out of the car, you should pray this prayer. Or in quarantine, before you jump on a, a video call, or before you dial that phone number, you should pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. I mean, what an easy prayer to just begin our interactions with one another with. Um, Warren Worsby has this great quote. He says, both the bit and the rudder, our tongue, must be under the control of a strong hand. The expert horseman keeps the mighty power of his steed under control, and the experienced pilot courageously steers the ship through the storm. When Jesus Christ controls the tongue, we don't need to fear saying the wrong things or even saying the right things in a wrong way. When Jesus Christ is the Lord of the heart, then he is Lord of the lips too. So great, I love that. You know, the gospel message ties into this idea of the word bringing life to people. John calls Jesus the word. He says that he's the word who has become flesh, the word who moved into the neighborhood. He is the word of God personified. He is the word of God walking around in sandals. And I'm so grateful that God shared his word with us so that he could destroy sin, so that he could direct us onto the right path. And more importantly, that he would offer delight to our souls and bring us alive in him. Uh, It's the wonderful gospel message in the context of God sharing his word with us to create life. Now, on the practical side, this lesson of words is huge for all of us. And I encourage you not to rush past this. This is so important, and it's becoming so increasingly important in the hour we live in that um, this week we started deeply considering doing a follow-up series after James on the power of being a blessing and uh, knowing how as followers of Jesus, we are to, instead of cursing, to bless. Um, What does it look like to receive the blessing of God? What does it look like to be a blessing instead of a burden or a bully? Uh, What does it look like to um, bless our enemies, to bless those in the household of God instead of cursing? I mean, you can curse someone with the rolling of your eyes. 
um, but we were made for blessing, not cursing. So often we use our words to either bless or curse. And so we've been thinking about that this week on um, in the day we live in, and especially as you get closer to November and and everything that is, is 2020 is going to be an interesting year. What we can do is we can learn how to give control of our thoughts and our words and our actions to the Holy Spirit and to Jesus and how we can learn to be a blessing instead of burdens or bullies, instead of cursing others. What does it look like to share words of blessings, to be um, tangible blessings? I think it's very important for us right now. I want to offer some next steps to you as we close. Um, And the first is just an outright question. Are your words creating destruction or delight? Do your words divide people or do they unite people? One way to answer this is to say, are people seeking you out, asking for positive, refreshing words? Do people come to you asking for help, asking for prayer, asking for what you think on something? If they don't, that may be a sign that you are maybe in a habit of um, not sharing words of blessing. Uh, here's some like practical things I want you to do. Is first, this week and we should do this like hourly, daily, but at the very minimum, you know, this week. Share a word of blessing with someone. Share a word of gratitude and appreciation. And, and one way is to think, Lord, who do I need to say thank you to? Uh, who do I need to say I thank God for you? Um, who, who would, whose life would be like lifted just a little bit if you just said, hey, I appreciate you. I notice what you're doing. I notice the hard work. Thank you. I thank God for you. That would be incredible. Uh, Another one is, uh, who do you need to share a word of love to? Is there someone that needs to hear you say, I love you? Now, boyfriends and girlfriends, be careful, but you get the point of this. Uh, uh, Who in your life needs to hear that you have affection and love for them? Um. Fourth, share a word of apology. Is there someone that you need to say, I'm sorry to? I mean, just those two words, I'm sorry, can actually be incredible words of blessing. And, and, and if you are called to apologize for something to someone, just on a practical note, don't use that as a diving board to go into it or as an opportunity to like give a lesson. Just say, I'm sorry, and that's it. Say, will you forgive me? I apologize. And that's it. Don't qualify it with anything. Uh, Lastly, um, share a word of forgiveness. Is there somebody in your life that you need to say with your words, I forgive you? You, For some, maybe you're like holding this person hostage by uh, not giving them forgiveness. Maybe you need to say, hey, I forgive you and I release you and I bless you. In other words, is there some practical things you can begin doing today to put your words in the direction of blessing, uh, to put your words in the direction of causing delight and unity and in, 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 in directing in, in good waters and good a- avenues? Um, is there anything you need to repent from? I think The answer for all of us, if we were truthful, would say, yeah, we've got a lot of repenting from careless words that we have shared that weren't under the direction of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus, we thank you that you are the word and you are the best example of someone who used words to give life, that you uh, brought forth the word of life into us, that you spoke words of healing, words of life. By your words, you called Lazarus out of the dead. By your words, you healed people. By your words, you shaped uh, the thinking of the last 2,000 years. And uh, you are the best teacher. And so we just humble ourselves. We come to you. We ask, uh, one, that you would take control of the meditations of our heart, the words of our mouth, that you would be the leader and the Lord of our feelings, of our thoughts, of our conversations. But also, Lord, I ask you would teach us how to be like you, how to be Christ-like, how to be followers of you, how to be uh, little Christ, how to be people in this world who share words of life, who build um, an incredible future of life because of our words. Lord, I pray even those around us who don't know you yet would come to know you because of the way in which we speak or the way in which we refuse to speak. Or for, for us listening who um, maybe are caught in an adolescent stage where we have not learned to use your words to fight the enemy, but we have kind of gotten stuck using our words to fight our brothers and sisters. I pray, God, you deliver us from that immaturity and that you grow us up that you would bring us to the full measure of maturity in you, Jesus, by, be, by being people who know how to receive the blessing of God, how to have a heart whose meditations are, are on you, and who simply say what we hear you saying. We need your help, especially in these days. It's the name of the Father, Son, Spirit.